My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. that up to any kind of creativity that they wanted to portray from talking about climate impacts that the youth may have experienced personally or may have observed to how those impacts can then cause a chain reaction for the youth or their family or their community members to take some sort of action. That's the voice the of Arij Riaz. She, Faith Adam, and LJ Prabaharan are today's guests on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. At the moment, it's hard to feel optimistic when it comes to the climate crisis. The assessments of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change are increasingly grim, From faster-than-expected loss of ice in the Arctic, to the heat waves, droughts, and wildfires plaguing North America, the physical manifestations of the crisis are increasingly palpable. And government responses range from outright denial to talking a good game while still doing things like buying and building a tar sands pipeline, extensively subsidizing fossil fuel industries, and consistently violating indigenous sovereignty. In the face of all of this, it's no wonder that many people are drawn towards action that is direct, overtly political, and confrontational. As important as that kind of action is, however, it is far from the only kind of work that needs to be done. In the face of the enormity of the harm that has already begun and that will only get worse, various kinds of relational work are essential to strengthen our communities. Given the overwhelming grief that so many of us feel in the face of it all, we need to find collective ways to deal with those feelings. And in the context of the broader forms of justice work that are necessary to make any possible response to the climate crisis adequate to the problem, we need to put energy into making space for voices that have been excluded and marginalized, particularly in the context of many government, institutional, and movement spaces working on climate, so that they might exert more influence in shaping public discourse, policy, and politics. Our Climate, Our Stories is a compilation of essays, stories, and poems written by Black, Indigenous, and racialized youth from across Canada. The book includes illustrations from a group called Climate Illustrated and messages from big names like Nature Canada, the David Suzuki Foundation, Climate Strike Canada, and more. The book is a space in which youth whose communities face disproportionate impacts from the climate crisis can share their experiences, their feelings, and their narratives, which are often marginalized even within youth-led climate activism, let alone in broader conversations about the crisis. The book is a project of the People Planet Pages Book Club, which brings people together to read and discuss material related to environmental and social sustainability. The Book Club is a partnership involving three organizations. Enviro Muslims is a community group working within the Canadian Muslim community around questions of environment and sustainability. The Books, Art, Music, or BAM Collective is a youth-led collective based in both Ontario and New York that empowers equity-seeking youth through art and community engagement. 
and the Community Climate Council is a youth-founded, not-for-profit organization in Ontario's Peel region engaged in advocacy and education work related to the climate. Arij Riaz is a climate change consultant who's involved in all three of the partnering organizations, and she was central in making the Our Climate, Our Stories project happen. Faith Adam is a policy analyst with Environment and Climate Change Canada and a contributor to the volume. And LJ Prabaharan is active with the Community Climate Council and works for a conservation authority and was also published in the book. Prabaharan argued that projects such as this are crucial because, quote, it's just important to have a varied set of voices, especially when we're facing such an overwhelming problem, end quote. He encouraged racialized youth to, quote, be more involved and, quote, make your voices heard when it comes to the climate crisis. Adam is particularly keen to see more marginalized voices given space in political and policy processes related to climate change. And she argued that if creating that inclusion means, quote, providing more spaces for black, indigenous, and people of color youth Canadians, then that's what we have to do, and until everyone is included in our transition to a more sustainable future, end quote. The People Planet Pages Book Club will be using the book in the coming months as part of climate-focused conversations with black, indigenous, and racialized youth audiences, and the partnering organizations intend to continue doing similar work in the future. I speak with Riaz, Adam, and Prabaharan about the climate crisis and about our climate, our stories. My name is LJ. I'm a member of the Community Climate Council. We're an ENGO in the Peel region trying to take climate action through climate literacy and political advocacy. For my day job, I also work at a conservation authority as a program assistant. Hi, everyone. My name is Faith Adam. In my day-to-day, -day, I'm a policy analyst at Environment and Climate Change Canada. I'm also a sustainability development goals advocate. Hi, I'm Arij Riaz. I'm a climate change consultant. I'm working with a number of different organizations in Canada on climate change and sustainability projects and designing different programs for them. The project is Our Climate, Our Stories. It's a book of climate stories and poems and essays, which comes from racially and ethnically diverse Canadian youth from across Canada. The project comes from a book club, which is called People Planet Pages. And this book club is run in partnership with three different organizations. And I work in some or the other capacity with all three of them. These are Enviro Muslims, which is a small community group, women-led, working with the Canadian Muslim community to educate and empower them on environmental stewardship. The second organization is called BAM Collective, Books, Art, Music Collective. It's a collective of postgraduate and undergraduate students who are based mainly in downtown Toronto, and they use creative means like music and art and books and photography to talk about important issues in Canada, including climate change, mental health, civic engagement, etc. And the third organization is Community Climate Council, which is a youth-incorporated organization based in the Peel region, and they work around climate literacy and advocacy as well as research. We all came together and formed this book club with the main aim being to educate and engage with like-minded individuals on different aspects of sustainability. 
the book club is reading different learning materials, not just book, but like magazines, newspaper articles, and also watching documentaries and gaining new information from there and coming together to discuss, learn, unlearn different concepts. And through that engagement, we realized that we also want to empower the writers within the community. And so we started working on this project. The idea behind the project was to provide a platform and a space for young voices within Canadian community to voice their concerns, voice their experiences and their narratives, whether that was a story they wanted to write, a fictional story or an essay or a prose, spoken word, in whatever shape and form that creativity came out. And then we spent some time going through all of those submissions selecting the top 20, editing them with a panel of editors from across the world. And then these 20 made into this book, which is freely accessible for everyone across Canada. We also worked with a design team and illustrators who also illustrated some of the submissions within the book. How do each of you remember first learning about climate change? And how has your consciousness around it changed over the years? In terms of my awareness of climate, I would say probably sometime around high school, taking a global issues course and just understanding our Paris climate targets and things of that nature. But I think the earliest memory where I really felt strongly about taking action towards climate change, I took a white collar crime course during my undergraduate program. It was really focused on companies not being held accountable for their environmental pollution. And I just considered all the different factors that we explored during the class, like insane, like there should be more people working towards trying to keep an eye on companies and their actions towards the environment. So that was really a push for me. And then when I entered public policy, it's really focused on the economic spectrum of things and economics leading into sustainability and how we can change behavior, make impactful change towards more sustainable action. And that led me to my current role in Environment and Climate Change Canada. I currently work on transportation and energy policy priorities, looking toward 2030 and 2050 targets. I've always been interested in nature and always had a love for animals. So when I decided on which career I wanted to go with, I went with environmental sciences because that was the only one that was available for me back home at that time, which kind of covered nature, animals. Once I had studied environmental sciences and I started working within the field, working with grassroots organizations on developing environmental education work and doing vulnerability assessments with government, I realized that we didn't really know too much about climate change. And that was a really huge issue. And we really lived through it in 2010. We had really terrible floods in my home country, Pakistan. It was catastrophic. And so two years later, I left to do another master's program in Scotland, and I studied carbon management. That provided me a lot more of that perspective on climate change and trying to understand how that related to environmental protection. 
So I've since then been working on some or the other aspects of climate action, helping governments, corporations, industries, and also the nonprofit sector work on their policies and planning on climate action and also helping them get access to technology and finance that is required to implement those policies and action plans. My story is quite similar to Faith's. My real foray into the environmental scene was in high school. I think I was in the 11th grade. I took an environmental sciences course and I basically fell in love immediately. I thought it was amazing. And from there, I also volunteered with the Conservation Youth Corps in my area, led by two conservation authorities in the area. Even with all that, I didn't think there was a viable career path for me in the environmental sector, just because I'd always known I was awful at science and math. So it wasn't until a couple of years ago, as I started volunteering in the environmental scene and with the Community Climate Council, that I realized that sustainability and environmentalism are so intersectional and that they require people that aren't just great at science, but people who are good at things like communications and presentations like myself. And that led me to where I am now, where I work with Credit Valley Conservation as a program assistant. Go into a little more detail about the conversations that our climate, our stories came out of and the work involved in making it a reality. The three main partners that we have all work with youth in some capacity or the other around climate change. And through this engagement, we've realized that there aren't too many platforms that they get to voice their concerns. And whenever they do, it's in a format where, you know, it's rather at a protest or happening through other kind of similar advocacy measures. But well, we wanted to provide them with a safer space so they are able to share their stories without thinking that this is going to be, you know, some sort of a protest that is happening or be concerned with any kind of other external factors and just be able to share what they're going through or talk about the experiences that they have. And we wanted to open that up to any kind of creativity that they wanted to portray. There was a lot of flexibility. We ranged it from talking about climate impacts that the youth may have experienced personally or may have observed other regions or other youth or other family members experience to how those impacts can then cause a chain reaction for the youth or their family or their community members to, you know, take some sort of action or the experiences they go through, the journeys that they have while taking these climate initiatives or actions at home or at school or, you know, places where they work or live or pray or play. We also included a theme around climate emotions because we've seen a lot of the youth feeling different kinds of emotions dejection, anxiety, alarm, fear, panic. And there's a lot of space for people to go through it and share it and do that catharsis, especially a creative catharsis that leads to optimism or hope or that collective feeling of courage. We opened up this initiative with a creative writing competition. We got funding from Government of Canada and we had submissions from across the country. We had an international panel of judges and the top submissions were then further edited by a team of editors. And then we worked with Climate Illustrated, which is an organization based in Norway and San Francisco to bring that visual storytelling element to the book as well. 
the whole idea with the book was to use that as a means to continue these conversations to celebrate the voices that the youth already have and use that as a tool to promote more and more of these spaces, safe spaces and amplifying platforms whereby these stories and these narratives can be uplifted and shared. And hopefully we see this firsthand perspective coming out and being incorporated and integrated into policy level discourses as well. Faith and LJ, what did you write about for the book and why? My short story, Mountainside, really connects to nature and I'm really looking at a familiar landscape and the protagonist experiencing those changes and working through how those emotions have impacted how she feels about the landscape itself and her viewpoints or their viewpoints going to the future. My short story really started out as a poem, but there's something really amazing about creative writing when you are given the opportunity to just let your ideas run free. For me, it ended up turning into a very cathartic short story. It was a pretty easy process because for me, in my day-to-day, I'm working on climate policy and environmental policy all the time. So it was a really great opportunity to discuss those similar issues of you know, pollution, stewardship in a more creative process. I really wanted to ensure as the reader reads through the short story, they're having a visceral reaction and they feel transported to a mountainside. I wanted to also ensure that the piece wasn't only focused on degradation caused by pollution, but also painting a picture of once was on the mountainside, because I think especially nowadays with environment and climate change, we're really focused on the impacts that have occurred. But it's so important that we also remember what these spaces and these lands once looked like before, so that that really fuels our passion for ensuring that they return to their former state. And for me, it was really important that the ending really focused on stewardship. I think it's important to hold strength and guidance and really pulling all of that energy from nature, even though maybe in the end, it's just a mountain of pollution. But, you know, that can inspire the protagonist to want to make changes and to be a change maker to protect future mountainsides. I really wanted to ensure that the ending of the short story was still inspirational in some way, even when going through the realizations of how much pollution has affected the protagonist's landscape. My short story, Food Waste in the West, well, the title, for starters, is a bit of a spoiler because, as you may have guessed, it's about food waste in the West. And it's really a personal story about my growth in Canada. I came here when I was five years old. Having grown up in Sri Lanka, you know, as I came to Canada, it was pretty shocking to see how wasteful people are with their food. Arish had contacted me about possibly submitting a short story. And at the time, I was really into food waste. And I believe we were doing a couple of projects centered around food waste at the Community Climate Council. So I thought it would be interesting to take a personal approach on food waste, especially considering mind-boggling stats like, you know, 63% of the food Canadians throw away could have actually been eaten. And every year, Canadians throw out 2.2 million tons of edible food. And every time you go to the grocery store, 40% of the things you buy, you're most likely going to throw out. 
And food waste, it's a double whammy because not only are you wasting all those resources that went into creating and growing that food, but you're also creating further greenhouse gas by throwing this food out. And not all the food that we throw out is compostable or gets composted. And yeah, I thought it was important to shed some light on this topic and take a look at some of the factors that contribute to food waste and why it's so rampant in Western culture. And I tried to do the same thing as Faith, try to be a little inspirational, a little more uplifting on such a gloomy topic. It ends off talking about how we can create change in our day-to-day lives. Talk about why having spaces and projects like this one, meaning focused specifically on Black, Indigenous, and racialized voices, is so important when it comes to responding to the climate crisis. And engaging with underrepresented youth, I realized that what they are learning or what they are coming across is not truly representative of the kind of community that they're living in and the kind of conversations that they need to come across. And that is a huge access barrier in a way. A lot of the people want to hear and see what people like them are saying about sustainability, especially people who have not studied sustainability or don't necessarily work in that field. For them to be able to understand means it's more and more essential for people who are going through it to be able to talk about it. And that obviously traverses towards the policy area as well. Like when you're speaking with policymakers and decision makers, they need to be able to hear what diverse groups are going through and their perspectives. It is important to have diverse conversations take place. It is important to have diverse representation because it then covers more and more of that holistic understanding of the context of the problem or the context of the challenges. I think diversity and inclusion is important for so many reasons. Arish talked about the angle of why it's important to have equal or proportionate representation. But I think even beyond that, it's just important to have a varied set of voices, especially when we're facing such an overwhelming problem, that being climate change and I guess the impending doom that comes with the topic of climate change. I think it's important to have voices of people from different backgrounds and different cultures on their experiences with this thing so we can sort of experiment with different solutions or even think about how we can do things a little differently. And I think, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I think my story is a bit of an example of that where it takes a look at how awful we are with food waste in the West and it draws parallels to my childhood growing up in Sri Lanka and how food waste and food in general is viewed over there. And I'm hoping that sort of helps people paint a picture, see just how bad things are over here and how we can adapt our consumption practices and how we buy and we view food in general. So I think, yeah, like I said, it's important to have diversity so that we can see different viewpoints and in that way, come up with different answers and different potential solutions to this huge problem of climate change these spaces for BIPOC voices provides an avenue of inclusion and representation, especially, you know, starting my career in sustainability and environmental science and whatnot. There is minimal representation or diversity of voices and perspectives. So the more that we can champion opportunities and spaces where a variety of voices can be reflected, 
it really is important because these voices are going to be the future policymakers, decision makers, and we have to ensure they're included in this process. When we even look to the impacts of climate change, it's predominantly racialized Canadians that will be the most impacted. They might not have the best access to resources or understand the impacts of environmental change on their health care or even understanding what climate change is. So understanding the education of things and how they can take on leadership role in that process. And we can look to environmental justice as a great source of knowledge that does center BIPOC, specifically Black communities, and understanding how those nuances are sometimes missed in the larger environmental sustainability action plans and measures. At the end of the day, for me, it's important that we have everyone at the table, and it's important to realize we don't actually provide invitations to everyone to be at the table. So we have to do that extra work and that additional action to ensure everyone's at the table. Because if we don't, it only causes more harm. So it's important to have all types of communities in the process as we transition towards a more holistic and sustainable future. So, you know, if that's providing more spaces for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, youth, Canadians, then that's what we have to do And until everyone is included in our transition to a more sustainable future. What kinds of action would you like to see more of from youth, from other youth? I think just more involvement. I think there's already quite a few youth involved, but I feel that youth could be more engaged, both with this topic and with, you know, all things related to politics or political action. And, you know, it's understandable. Youth obviously are young. I'm a little more outspoken now, but when I was younger, I often wouldn't speak out on topics like this because I was afraid that because I was so young, my voice held no weight. I think that's a misconception a lot of youth have. So I'd like them to change their mind on that because their voices really do matter. I guess my request to youth is just be more involved, make your voices heard, make a place for yourself because it's available. You kind of just have to take the reins. In terms of actions, I'd like to see more of specifically focused on the public policy process, understanding what they can do in terms of civic action and taking up those leadership spaces. There's so much knowledge and awareness that youth can provide to more senior decision makers. And I feel like the more that they have a stronger understanding of what our Canadian political process or public policy process is at municipal, federal, provincial level, the more we'll be able to make decisions that are better reflective of not only the generation of today, but the generation of the future. I know that's what I'm going to be focused on in the future, just to ensure youth are part of that development process. There's a lot of information and knowledge out there. Some of it could also be misleading. So it is everyone's responsibility to learn how we're impacting climate change, how climate change is impacting us and our economic sectors, especially the fields that we work in. If you know they're not directly related to sustainability, there is a plethora of resource and knowledge out there that anyone can access and understand. And these are the kind of learning that everyone needs to do, not just youth, but, you know, an intergenerational community and the multiracial community that we have in Canada. You have been listening to my interview with Areej Riaz, Faith Adam, and LJ Prabaharan about Our Climate, Our Stories. 
And if you search for Our Climate, Our Stories using your favorite search engine, you'll find lots of ways to download the book. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Oh,